All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, I have good news for you today. Kamala Harris has fixed the situation at the border. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. And it looks like it's not going to happen because as we look at recent numbers coming in, we're actually surpassing all records with respect to people illegally crossing the southern border right now. And the big question that people like Ted Cruz have brought up, that Republicans have brought up, that some Democrats in Texas have brought up is what sort of obligation does the federal government have with respect to controlling immigration? And from the libertarian perspective, is the idea of more immigration or even open borders a good one? We're going to discuss all of that today. We're going to discuss the benefits of immigration. We're going to discuss the potential downfalls of immigration. And we're going to ask the question, what should immigration policy actually look like in a free society? All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. You know, Nick, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know a few of the folks that have joined our volley chats. Some really cool people have gotten to have some great conversations about political philosophy and things of that nature. So if you haven't already, visit the link in the description of this podcast and join us on volley. We're all there chatting about the podcast, different topics, and getting to know each other. It's been a great time. And as always, if you leave this episode knowing more how to make the argument about this topic of immigration, I hope you'll let us know in the YouTube comment section and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, an okay guy, my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. And once again, Mr. No-Show, our <laughs> resident historian, political prognosticator. And um, I wish you know, he was here for this. He makes everything better. Wow. Wow, debatable. Okay, and then we also have uh, <laughs> Nick Hamilton, uh, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like Central Bank. That's right. And I'm just kidding, Christian. We're all looking for He'll be back Tuesday. We miss yeah. him. This is how we will know if he actually watched the episode, because he'll come back and be like, all shucks about what I said. Or he'll be mad at me about what I said. Or he'll he'll say he had this great point, and he was frustrated he didn't yeah, get to make it. That's that's more likely. And then he'll tell it to us. That's more likely. <laughs> okay, so the issue of immigration, it's actually a controversial one, and not just between left and right, but even within various circles, liberty circles, and things like that. And it really is. It really is a good, important question with respect to what is the government's role with respect to immigration. Now, I think... The majority of people kind of fall into a couple of different categories on this. You have some people that just want complete open borders. You have other people that, you know, take in a position where they don't want any immigration at all. But I think the majority of people, right, fall into this, this third camp, which is to say that no problem with legal immigration, but we do think there should be some, you know, practical uh, questions that are asked before someone comes into the United States. And there's also some practical considerations with respect to how does this impact the country as a whole, whether it be economically, whether it be on various, uh, you know, 
welfare systems we have in the United States. These are all things to take into consideration. And so what we're going to do is we're going to explore um, what various politicians have said about immigration and about the role of the federal government with respect to immigration. And so here's what I'm going to do. Because, again, I, I know a lot of people on the left now that obviously they had a huge problem with Trump and his policy with respect to immigration. Um, they had, you know, whenever we've tried to pass laws like in the Commonwealth of Virginia where we've essentially said that, hey, look, you know, we understand that local law enforcement, it's not their job to enforce federal immigration policy. But if you have somebody that's like a violent offender, you might want to, you know, work with ICE on this one. And we've been told that we ever do, it's a dog whistle and it's going to cause more problems and we're racist, right? It's, it's always you're racist. Uh, forget the fact that the law would have applied equally to someone coming from any country over the world, regardless of ethnicity. The bottom line is the left always comes back with, you're, the only reason why you'd support this is because you're a racist. So I'm going to read off some quotes here. It's their favorite talking point. It kind of is, right? And, and I, I'd like the audience to guess. Tina and I do not know what Tina is coming. Does, Tina yes. and Hamilton do not We're gonna know guess. who said these things, right? We we have to like let it sink in just a little bit so that the audience gets a chance to kind of guess in their head. All right, yeah. And I want you, and, and if you're watching this and you tend to be more on the left, I want you to determine how racist you think this is, right? All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public services they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. So what right-wing radical nut job said that? Okay, I'm going to think... You each get one guess. It's a... Well, I got to analyze this a little bit because they use the word alien. I've so got like six other quotes Listen here. to me. All right. <laughs> God, so disrespectful. <laughs> um, they use the word alien, which has been canceled uh, for the past probably decade. So I'm going to say Bill Clinton. Tina says Bill Clinton. I'm going with Barack Obama. He's going with Barack Obama. The answer was... <gasps> Bill Clinton. Woo! That's Tina right. President Bill again. Clinton. And did he say this on some like obscure little meeting where he got caught on camera? Nope. It was the State of the Union. State of <laughs> wow. the Union. State of the Union address. All right. So here we go. Let's go with another one. Ready? Illegal immigrants who come here and commit felonies. That's not what this nation is. Border control is a federal responsibility. We simply don't enforce our borders adequately. And California is struggling to cope with 2,000 people a day trying to illegally cross the border in addition to the 2 million illegal immigrants that are already in the state. Who said that? I'm going to keep guessing Barack Obama until I'm correct. All right. So he says Barack I'm Obama. I'm going to go with somebody from California since they're obsessed with it. California is their main focus. Tina's gonna... actually doing some analysis. I'm yeah, going to go with Moonbeam on this one. Oh, gov so uh, Brown, Governor yeah, Brown. Moonbeam. This was... None other than Senator Dianne Feinstein. Ooh, Dianne Feinstein. Yeah, it turns out that that year, is like 1994, she said this. In 1995, she actually ran on immigration, on being tough on border security in 1994. So right-wing nut job, Dianne Feinstein. Um, okay, here we go. Well, that was uh, close. <laughs> okay. Because we do need to address the issue of immigration and the challenge we have of undocumented people in our country. We certainly do not want any more coming in. Who said that? 
if the one that was before that was Barack Obama, you skipped it. <laughs> I. Who said it? It was because we do need to address the issue of immigration and the challenge we have of undocumented people in our country. Well, they said undocumented. I'm going to go with Hillary. Hillary we certainly Clinton. do not want any more coming in. Ooh, I don't know if she would have said that. Though. No, she's she would say that. Just depends on the decade. Tina is going with Hillary Clinton. Who is it? No, no, you haven't guessed yet. Oh, you don't get out of this. I'm going with Barack Obama again. Oh my gosh, you're so lame. <laughs> the answer is Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. I know Nancy that bigot. My Ooh, gosh, what a wow. racist. I'm gonna blame this on my <laughs> young age. You said that in such a way where I'm like, what's he saying you next? You that I was gonna go in a different direction? No, I would not have done that. That would have been horrible and inappropriate and rude. All right, here's another one. First. Illegal immigration is wrong, and a primary goal of comprehensive immigration reform must be to dratically curtail future illegal immigration. What does dratically mean? Dramatically, sorry. Oh. Dratically. <laughs> I, think dramatically. You, I think you mixed drastically and dramatically. I did. I did. Dramatically curtail future. All right. You, you want me to read it one more time? Please. I got hung up on that. First, illegal immigration is wrong, and a primary goal of comprehensive immigration reform must be to dramatically curtail future illegal immigration. I'm going to go with Barack Obama on this one. Tina goes Barack Obama. <laughs> I'm going to make a wild guess and say Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, oh. you looked in at you. He totally, oh. yeah, he I'm, totally. I'm going to bl blame my oh lack my of guesses gosh. here on my young age. Oh, my gosh. All right, here you we go. You are quite the whippersnapper yes. over here. Here we go. Ready? All right. We are a generous and welcoming people here in the United States, but those who enter the country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law, and they are showing disregard for those who are following the law. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully to become immigrants into this country. Real reform means strong border security, and we can build on the progress that has already been made, putting more boots on the southern border than at any time in our history. Yeah, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to say that since it didn't say and build the wall, it's definitely not Donald Trump, but it could have been if it extended into let's build the wall because everything else was pretty darn spot on. Who said this? Barack Obama. I'm going. I'm confident, it's Barack Obama. President Barack Obama. Mm. Isn't That's it amazing right. how they just completely it was, it was changed his use of their rule tune? of law? Yeah. It gave it away. Well, it, again, so this just goes it just goes to show that there was a point. There was a point in the not so distant future because part of that Barack Obama quote came from 2013, right? So we're not talking about like a two decades ago. Yeah. There was a time when Democrats said, you know, oh yeah, no, we want immigration, but. We've got to secure our border, you know, and, and there's... But isn't that the story with Democrats? It seems like they say one thing and then progressively they <laughs> move further and further away from what they originally said. It's just they are so changeable. They do not stand firm. It just tells you that they do not believe what they themselves say. Well, I, th I think there's another phenomenon that's taking place right now, and that is the left of the Democratic Party, which right, the whole Democratic Party is left, but the far left of the Democratic Party has shifted the entire party to the left. And this is way, this is why you see people like Elon Musk or like Tim Pool and, and others who used to consider themselves kind of center left that are saying now, like, I didn't move. You guys just shifted so far. I don't understand. 
you know, it doesn't make sense where you're at anymore. Well, I also think that there are, are situations during campaigns where if it's a really big challenge, well, you could see this with Abigail Spanberger right now. I see ads for Abigail, Abigail Spanberger over and over and over again, talking about how she's middle of the aisle. She reaches across the aisle and she's bipartisan, bipartisan. And we need to deal with insider trading. That was the last one I just saw. Oh, uh, Congress and insider yeah. trading. It's like, okay. Um, and the thing is, is that they are not, she's, she's not, all of that is fake news, but if they are in a primary battle or if they're well in a primary battle, they usually move more left in the general election though, they will say anything they have to say to get that middle swath of people to lean their direction because that's the whole election. Yep. It, 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 uh, it hinges on that section of people right in the middle that, their mood dictates who wins. And so if there are a lot of border crises going on, then whoever the nominee is has to address it and make those people believe that they care. Yeah. They're liars. That's just, that's all it comes down to. They do not believe what they have to say. They, they don't believe it. And um, it's just about the next election. Yep. Well, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, clearly... Clearly, this is an issue where it's like um, values via polling. Oh, yeah. Um, it was kind of like, remember Bill Clinton? He It was like he would just stick his finger in the air, see which way the wind was blowing. He would. T he literally governed by polls. He mm -hmm. would have them take a poll. And, oh, well, they'll forgive you if you say you're sorry. Yeah. Versus they won't forgive you if you lie. So then, of course... No, and, and and Clinton was a Clinton was a master of looking at this, and you know this goes back to a whole Thomas Sowell quote, right? Like when you actually want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what you think they want to hear. And you know, and and again, another Thomas Sowell quote, right? The reason why so many politicians are such shameless liars is because um, when you start demanding of the government things it can't possibly do, or politicians the things they can't possibly do, then only liars will satisfy. And, and that that's kind of where we're at right now. It's there, there's certain things you have to say in order to get elected. And then when you get in there, the question is, is when they're looking at raising money and all this other stuff, it's like, who do we need to appeal to, right? Or, or we can't, we have to ensure that our base doesn't get so upset that they don't show up, that they don't donate, that they don't knock doors, all these other things. And that's where you see, honestly, too, that's also where you see what they really believe. And, and here's the issue. For the longest time, and, and I've seen this in the General Assembly repeatedly, it's this idea that, you know, this is a, that immigration is at all times always a net good for the country. Right. And they will claim they don't say that. But when you're advocating for things like open borders, because that's essentially what they're doing, um, then that's what you believe. And, and you'll see them make these kind of like, you know, statements of, um, you know, this country was built by immigrants and things like that. And it's like, OK, this all this all sounds nice. And I, I'm actually very pro legal immigration. Like, I, I do not agree with this idea that we just need to shut down. immigration. I don't agree with that at all. But. I also think it's absurd to have the country arranged the way it is and not assume that this this can create practical problems. But Democrats have suggested that it doesn't create practical problems. It, it's a net benefit. So Governor Abbott and Governor Ducey decided to go ahead and test that theory. So what did they do? Well, they loaded up 79 buses of people that had crossed over into their states illegally. And, and keep in mind, the federal government has repeatedly said, you know, this this is a federal issue. States can't get involved. So they put them on buses and they sent them to Washington, D.C. And lo and behold, the mayor of Washington, D.C. didn't appreciate this. The mayor of New York City came right out and had issues as well. 
And so uh, apparently they started to recognize that, okay, there, there are some potential, there are some practical considerations when you have people all of a sudden showing up by the thousands in your cities that your facilities and your resources are going to need to come to bear in order to provide, you know, basic assistance to. Then all of a sudden they understood the problem. Now, Governor DeSantis got a little upset with them and said, why don't you just send them back across the border? Well, again, there's, there's federal implications there. But I, I think what they were really trying to demonstrate was, okay, you know, and, and the left does this a lot. The left, you know, it, it's really easy for a politician in a city that is, or in a city or in a place that is not having to deal with this on a daily basis to wax philosophical about, you know, just how wonderful this all is. And what, you're all a bunch of racists and bigots. Okay, here you go. Oh my gosh. Well, th this is going to, this is going to be a burden on our local school systems and our, and our local hospitals and, and our local resource. No fooling. You know, Shapiro brought this up with respect. In fact, we can go to the next article uh, with New York City Mayor Adams. And he said, yeah, he, we welcome them, but uh, this is going to cause a burden on New Yorkers. Wh how? Why? How is it going to cause a burden? Well, because of those local services. And, and, and Shapiro pointed out uh, earlier, I thought this, this was really good. He goes, you know, it, it's fascinating. He goes, there's been like, you know, I think it was like buses, like 5,000 um, people that were in the country illegally that were shipped up to New York. And the mayor holds a special press conference to talk about how this is going to be, this is going to be a, a real, you know, taxing thing on resources. And Shapiro was pointing out, like, go to one of these small border towns in Texas that has a fraction of the resources, a fraction of the people, but they're dealing with numbers larger than what New York City, a city of like 10 wow. million people is dealing with. So, so 5,000 people come into your city and you all of a sudden understand that this is a potential burden on resources. But when that's happening daily in Texas, you don't understand that that's just Texans being, you know, red state bigots. Like how intellectually dishonest. Well, it goes back to that rural versus urban divide that really we does. have in our country where people from urban areas tend to think that everyone in a rural area is a knuckle dragging uh, racist bigot. And that they're so backwards in their thinking that, that there's just no way that what they say could be right. And it's their own type of bigotry. And well, it's interesting because they won't, um, they won't listen to any sound reasoning. It's almost like they live within the bubble of their community and they are unwilling to hear any idea outside of that or any kind of grievance outside of what their grievance could possibly be. Yeah. Well, and so let, let's, let me read this off too, because again, we, we keep talking about this. We talk about like the highest numbers ever. Like, okay, what does this actually mean? So let, let's, let's kind of break this down. The Southwest border has been in an unprecedented state of chaos under Biden. But border patrol set an all time record for apprehensions there in fiscal year 2021. And that comes directly from the border patrol. And since the beginning of February 2021, Biden's first full month in office, CBB has encountered nearly 2.5 million uh, aliens who have entered illegally or without proper documentation at the U.S.-Mexico line. Of those nearly 2.5 million, about 1.35 million have been expelled under Title 42. That still leaves more than 1.1 million who have been processed under the Immigration and Nationality Act since February of 2021. It goes, and then it goes on to say, which brings me to the DHS migrant releases. Under Section 235 of the INA, that's the Immigration and Nationality Act, 
DHS is supposed to detain all illegal migrants and aliens seeking admission who are not clearly admissible. But through the end of March, the Biden administration has released 836,225 of them. So, to give you an idea, the population of Seattle is 787,000, about 788,000 people. So, within during during February, from February to today, or, or when was this? When was this put out? Let me see here. July. 21st. This is in April. This is in April. So, February uh, February of 2021 to April of uh, 2022. There's been 836,000 people. That that doesn't mean they've gone through the full process and and they're here. They've just been they were detained and then released. So like the over the more than the population of Seattle came in came in illegally, got detained, then got released. And the, the way this process works is they they give them a court date. It's like oh yeah, come back during this court date. <laughs> okay, yeah, and that that mm-hmm. happens a lot, right? Um, and and this is what. Border states have been talking about for a while now. Now, I want to address something here that I think is important because, again, I, I'm a very liberty-oriented person, and, and I have friends that are libertarians that say, you know what, if you truly believe in liberty, then you believe in the free exchange of goods and services, and you believe in the freedom of movement of people. And this kind of begs the question— because Milton Friedman, who described himself as a libertarian, Milton Friedman made a comment about this once that I thought was really prescient. He said, you cannot have a massive welfare state and open borders. And the reason why you can't do that is for two reasons, essentially. It, it creates a situation where instead of someone coming to a country because of the opportunities with respect to private property rights or living in a government that isn't oppressive or living in a country where the police aren't constantly, you know, corrupt. And, and it's fascinating because you, you talk to the average Democrat and they'll tell you how horrible, racist, corrupt, and abusive the police are. And yet people from all over the world, many of whom are living in, in countries that have universal health care and, and have far more socialist and robust, like welfare system, they're coming to the United States. Yep. So clearly they didn't get the message from the left that we're, we're a horrible, no good, awful, very bad place. But if you create an elaborate welfare state, you are essentially creating a perverse incentive for immigration, right? You want people to come to your country because of opportunities, because of the ability to live free, to work hard, to raise their family, to be a part of that. And, and as, as I've stated before, I have a lot more in common with, you know, some 25-year-old, you know, father of, you know, two in Manila or in, you know, Bogota, Colombia or in Venezuela that desperately wants to come to the United States because they just want to live in an environment where they can work hard, take care of their family, educate their kids, have a better life without living in constant fear of, you know, gangs or the government coming in and essentially expropriating what they've done or locking them in jail because they said the right thing. I have a lot more in common with that person than I do Someone that lives in this country that is constantly running it down and talking and wanting to turn it into a socialist welfare state. I have a lot more in country. That person, in my mind, philosophically, not legally, but philosophically, is far more American in what I think of America than certain members of Congress that are constantly trashing this country sure. and talking about how horrible they think it is. Now, that doesn't mean I think, you know, 
you, you get out if you don't like it. And it doesn't mean that if I, if I think that somebody is philosophically far more American that they can just come on in whenever they want. Because the bottom line is we do live in a world of practical limitations. And something, so something the left knows nothing about. Well, I, I think they do on some level, right? Because this this goes into this goes into kind of the deeper the question of why is it the Democrats took one position with respect to immigration at certain points and different positions on, on at other times. Um. And and you know the question's been asked before. It's like okay, if and, and again, the biggest hindrance to me on allowing for actually more immigration is the welfare state. Because as Milton Freeman articulated, if you're going to have a welfare state with, with very generous benefits that you can get without putting something into it, well, that's a system that will destroy itself sure. over time. So you, you can't create a perverse incentive toward that. And some of my libertarian friends will come back and be like, well, you're, you know, Nick, you don't know what you're talking about because if you're here illegally, you don't qualify for those welfare benefits to which I look at them and say, okay, let me get this straight. You know, fellow liberty lover, let me get this straight. You think the government is so incompetent with respect to how it runs any number of its services to include things like welfare, entitlement programs, and things like that. But when it comes to making sure that somebody who's in the country illegally doesn't get those benefits, oh, yeah, the federal government just steps up and does yeah. a bang-up job making sure that doesn't happen. We know it doesn't. Sure. I, I think there's a fascinating conversation to be had here about the welfare state and how that encourages immigration. But I don't think a lot of people quite understand how bad it is on the border. Well, and this, and this goes into kind of the next thing I want to discuss on this, because part of the whenever we bring up these practical considerations with respect to, hey, look, you know, when I, I get it, when let's say when you have somebody that comes over here for all the right reasons, they desperately want to be an American um, but the the process for becoming one legally is onerous and difficult, and they just don't want to wait. So they come over here, they immediately get a job, they're working hard, they're do I mean, all the things that we we like and respect, sure. other than the coming here illegally. Well, the moment their kid enrolls in school, like in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that's an average of ten thousand dollars per student per year. If you go to the hospital for something, or if you have a baby at the hospital, right, like. This is the part where you get into, it's like, okay, well, wait a second. There's practical considerations here because now you're using public services that you're not paying for. Now, they'll argue that they're paying taxes, sales taxes, maybe property taxes with the places that they're, they're renting or living. Um, but no, a lot of times they're not paying, here legally, they're not paying state income taxes, not paying federal income taxes, right? So there, there's a lot of funding and whatnot that doesn't make it in to, to the systems that they're, they're utilizing. And that, and that is a practical consideration because people are affected that when those services become overtaxed or overburdened. Sure. Now they'll come back and say, well, now you're just, you're just mean. You're just mean. You're not willing to, you're not willing to fork over a little bit more to make sure that we can take care of people that are good people that are working on that. And that's where I go to things like what Ted Cruz brought up. And, um, Ted Cruz claims that the narco slave trade at the Southern border, um, or claims that there's a narco slave trade at the Southern border in a graphic video. And he really calls out um, the Biden administration, Kamala Harris. Um, and I think we're going to, we'll, we'll play that for you. It's about yep. a minute long. So let's go ahead and start it from the beginning. All right. So it says warning. The video contains graphic images. They're driving along the border at night. It's like 1130 PM on the U S Mexico border. 
these children come in in debt to vicious cartels, thousands and thousands of dollars. And the teenage boys work for the gangs in every city in America. And the teenage girls experience a hell worse than that, with far too many of them human trafficked into sex slavery. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are responsible for the worst plague of slavery in America since the Civil War. This is not compassionate. For those of you listening, he's showing pictures of people that have died, drowned. And babies that have died beside their parents. And so the the argument Ted Cruz is making is, is again, not just the practical consideration from an economic standpoint, but also the moral one, which is to say that illegal activities, okay, when, when you pass, we all know this, right? When you pass a law, it doesn't automatically stop. Theoretically, what it does do is it, prevents or, or lessens something from happening. That's, that's the ideal, but that doesn't always happen. And a lot of times what you end up having on something like this is a black market. And I, I pointed this out when Barack Obama was talking about um, uh, DACA and dreamers and, and, and all these other programs, because what he was starting to do is he was, and it, it was a brilliant move from a political marketing standpoint. Cause what it was is, well, we have children that were brought into the country you know, or they were unaccompanied minors. And, you know, it's it's not their fault. They're minors. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna treat them like somebody else that would, you know, cross the border illegally. We're not gonna treat, we're not gonna treat the the seven-year-old child or the 13-year-old girl like we would treat the 25-year-old male that comes in. And most people looked at it and said, you know, that's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. And on some level, depending on what you meant by that, I don't think many of us would have a problem with it. But I pointed out in, in a debate, and the question was asked to me to try to put conservatives in a bad light. And I said, let me explain something to you. When you create a situation where you say unaccompanied minors can stay, what message have you just sent to people that want to get into the United States, want their kids to have a better life, might have all, all the best motivations? What message have you sent? You've sent, get your kids to the United States. Because once they're over here, it'll probably be easier for you to get over here and be reunited. But once they get here, that's your, that's your, your, your anchor point. And I asked the question, I said, and, and how do you think a parent does that? Do, do they go to the travel agency in, in Guadalajara and just, just arrange for a plane ticket? No. They go to drug cartels. They go to criminal organizations that promise them, and because they don't advertise. It's not, like, it's not like the Juarez cartel set up shop and said, Juarez cartel, give With us your booth. children. We'll help them get. No. They set up fronts to be able to provide services to get your kid over there. And they tell the parent, we're going to take care of them. We'll get them over there and we'll, we'll get you reunited. And then the girls go into the sex trade. The boys go into the drug trade and the gang trade. And these kids are now preyed upon. And, and the, the number, you look at the numbers, I think it was something like 15,000 unaccompanied minors in a month. Not to mention the fact that they've also caught on to this idea with the whole children coming across the border, they will act like, oh, you're separating families. This is nothing the AOC grilled the, the former um, secretary of ISON, the chairman of ISON. And, and he was trying to point out, it's like, well, wait a second. Just because you have two adults or one adult with a child does not mean that's a family. 
because the cartels and everyone else picked up on this and you had instances of the same kids being used with different adults to come across the border. So you're creating this perverse incentive which allows criminal organizations to prey off of vulnerable people. You are making it easier. Now, the left comes in and says, well, yeah, that's because it's illegal. If you just open the borders, then you take away the power of these cartels. You take away the power of these criminal organizations. The problem is, is, well, no, but then you create other issues. Because again, your guys are the ones that have pushed for this massive welfare state. You guys are the ones that have pushed for this idea that you shouldn't have to work if you don't want to. And if you think I'm being hyperbolic, go look at what AOC was talking about with respect to the implementation of the economic plans that she wanted under things like the Green New Deal. She thought if she said that if you're unable to work or unwilling to work, you cannot create welfare systems like that. You cannot create overburdened welfare systems like that and then tell everybody in the world, come here and you will be able to get the benefit of these without having to contribute into them. They're already poorly managed. So this is the part where we get into like, okay, so what is the solution here? Because I, I don't want to tell somebody, I, I don't want to tell somebody that the process for coming to the United States is so burdensome and so expensive that they'll never be able to afford to do it because now you create a perverse incentive to come in illegally. I also don't want to create a situation where it's so easy to come in illegally that why would you follow the legal process? Sure. Because that's insulting to everyone that is waiting in line attempting to do it correctly. What I don't understand is why the left continually stands against bills that would try to prevent child exploitation at the border. They are against bills that do that. Uh, Dan Crenshaw just a week or two ago introduced another bill that's probably going to die that would require that enough that, that people detained at the border with children that there is enough time to DNA test them, that family group, to make sure they're really a family. Because as you said before, kids being used to go back and forth, kids coming in being used for the sex trade, um, there, if there's no DNA testing, they don't really know. I mean, these kids don't have documentation. What kid has, my kids don't have documentation until they start driving. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing to say who this child belongs to. And they can say they are whoever they want to say they are. And yet the left continually lockstep will fight against something just to take a little swab from their cheek to see if this really is a family or if this child is being abused mm -hmm. and they are continually on the side of abusers. You look at, at the fact that, um, Oh, they, they wanted to get all up in arms. I mean, it was a horrible situation when there was a 10 year old girl who was raped and we all heard about that. Oh, she was raped and they were, they used it for uh, Roe v. Wade. They said, this 10 year old girl has to cross into another state in order to get this, this which wasn't abortion, which, which was garbage. And the abortionist wrote down the person who, uh, violated her as being 17 in, in order to protect this abuser. Yeah. And this guy ends up being actually 27 and he is an illegal immigrant and they were protecting this abuser and had this situation with Roe v. Wade being overturned not happened. And had they not wanted to exploit this child for another purpose, 
they would have just swept this under the rug and let her go back into her abusive situation because her mother was quoted even as saying, oh, what's being said about this man is not true. And my daughter is fine. Yeah. I'm what do you think was really going on there? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, that little girl was clearly being used. And now I don't know if the, if the mother was just trying to um, get the questions to stop or, or any, anything about her motive on it. I'm not trying to make assumptions there, but this child was abused and this man was 27 year old illegal immigrant who did it. And they were trying to protect him again. Well, and it just feels to me like at the border, you have so much going. I mean, they were mad at Abbott for um, holding up trucks and shipments. And they wanted, do you remember the episode yeah. we did? They were trying to blame him for price hikes. They were blaming Abbott for price hikes. And it was right around the same time he was shipping people to uh, DC. So they, it, there was kind of a smear campaign going on. But just a few weeks later, what did they find? They found an entire truck full of people who died, most of who died. Yeah in this truck that were being trafficked across the border. Why do you think they need to check these trucks? These are human lives. And I just, I, it, it absolutely confounds me the idea that the left constantly is on the side of the abusers. Wow. Nick, you've got a couple stats here that I'd love for you to read off. Well, yeah, this goes into the human trafficking. Um, so it's, it's, and some of these are estimates. They come from various places, but like 40.3 million people are victims of trafficking worldwide. There are about 5.4 victims of modern slavery for every 1,000 people in the world. Uh, women and girls account for 71% of all human trafficking victims. Um, one in four victims of modern slavery are children. 14% of victims of forced labor moved either international, uh, internally or internationally. Um, 15.4 million victims of human trafficking involved forced marriage. There are 5.4 victims of modern slavery for every, yeah, that's basically it's another stat um, from, a, from one of those groups. But the, the human trafficking issue has become significantly worse, I, I think, as of late. And, and it was interesting because there was a lot of people that were suggesting that when Trump was trying to lock down on border security, that he was going to exacerbate the problem, that by enforcing U.S. immigration laws, um, that, that he was going to create a bigger problem because he was creating more of a black market for it, right? That was the argument. And, and look, and, and on certain level, there's a certain, again, superficial plausibility with this. So, but this begs the question, like, okay, well, Trump's not in there anymore. It's Biden now, all right? And, and Biden has, for all intents and purposes, dropped the ball completely on there. And I, I don't, actually, he hasn't dropped the ball. I think he's doing exactly what he wants to do but can't officially put into law. Right. Because why else would you put, you would never put, Kamala Harris in charge of something that you wanted to go correctly. Um, and, and the end result is, is, oh, okay, great. So human trafficking has dropped now, right? Harvard. Cause those, nope. those, those are the people doing Harvard. Like was, those are the people doing the studies accusing that, well, Trump is going to create an increase in human. Oh, so human trafficking has gone down now, right? No, it hasn't. No, no, it hasn't. So th this is, it's as if these people think all of this happens in a vacuum. It's almost like they think other countries can't see what we're up to. Like we're in this isolated little thing and we're like, oh, we're going to start doing this. And other countries won't even pay attention to it. And people don't even realize that, oh, their policy has changed and now we can do X. Oh, it was. Uh, no, they are actively watching to see what they can exploit in order to 
continue this money-making uh, industry they're into. Well, and, and there's there, there's also groups within the United States that, you know, will, will claim to be for like immigrant um, advocacy. Um, and, and it's interesting. There's, there's some out there that I think are, you know, good legitimate organizations that are just trying to do the best. And then there's others that I think are a little bit shady and definitely yeah. have a political ideology, uh, ideology that they're trying to push and they see immigrants as a way that they can exploit that. Um, but it, yeah, it was interesting. The Biden administration all would talked about how racist Trump's policy was. And then all of a sudden, all these people showed up to the border, like, okay, Biden's president now. Yeah. And, and they were trying to say, well, no, this isn't because, no, it is because of you. Because again, this is stupid. When you create a particular incentive, that's what people respond to. People respond to incentives. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, is that, well, when Biden comes in, we're all going to be, and it, Biden got up there with his, I think it was uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security saying, don't come right now. <laughs> Right. So like they started to recognize that, oh, there, there's an actual real world practical problem to doing this. This is not as simple as throw over the borders and everything's OK. And again, that's why I think Abbott and Ducey did what they did. Yeah, It was like, if you're going to tell us that there's no problems associated with this, that this is all great. OK, here you go. How's it working out for you? Nick, do you think that the left believes that if we had open borders and very few immigration restrictions, that this problem with human trafficking would disappear? I, I think they so so let's let's look at this logically. Yeah. Typically, when you make something illegal, there ends up being a especially like a a, a, a service or a commodity, you end up with a black market for it. So you make gambling illegal. Does that mean gambling? Everyone stops gambling? No. no. You you have underground organizations that end up ran, running gambling. Um, you see the same thing with you know illicit drugs and everything like that. So th- there is an arg- There is a a reasonable argument to be made that if you if you were to all of a sudden tomorrow just say hey you can you can openly immigrate to the United States there would be few people would not feel like they would have to go through you know dangerous criminal organizations to be able to to be snuck in. Right. Right. So like I understand that argument on a on a practical, logical level. What they're not then also understanding is that you are still you're you're going to create other problems then that will also allow people to be exploited um, by criminal organizations or it will just you'll create a situation where the welfare state that you've also propped up, Mm -hmm. you know, as as from the left can no longer sustain what it is that you're doing. Right. Like the, the services that you claim you want everyone to have become more difficult to get to people if you have more people taking those services, but then not necessarily contributing into what makes those services possible, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about something that's government run. And so it's more about understanding that, look, if, if you want to be able to address multiple things at once, there's ways to do that. But simply saying, oh, well, here's a problem. Let's open the borders and that'll solve it. Well, no, you, you might partially address one problem there's still create be, another you, 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 but you're going to create others at the same time that you're doing that and and this is a common problem with the way that government often often addresses problem they'll look at one problem they'll look at it in isolation and then say well let's just do this <laughs> okay there's second and third order effects to doing right. that well you've mentioned the welfare system quite a few times and i think this is in my opinion the most important point we can make in this podcast yeah. and i think on you know on the left they want open borders they think that would solve this problem on the right we think that the wall would do you know the job but i think truly if the welfare system was not in place there would be far less incentives for people to come here there there would be far less perverse incentives perverse incentives yeah 
So I want you to talk through that just a bit because I, I think that's the most important point we can take from this subject. So, so let's look at it this way. Um, I'm so sorry. I, I do want you to bring up the fact that you went to the southern border and yeah. some of the situations that you found there. And sure, absolutely. Um, one of the sides of this is also, I'm sorry to get off a little bit, but um, what this is doing to these families. So I, t I know that, I mean, a lot of people look at this from the economic standpoint, but I'm looking at these families and yeah. there were situations that you had people speaking with you when yeah. you guys were interviewing, and um, I haven't seen that come out, the there, there film you guys did, but yeah. but there were people who, I mean, you had men who would come across to work in order to send money back home right. to their family, but then they would end up creating a new family where they are and, and marrying someone here wow. and abandoning their family over there. Well, we, we were... That would happen. So we went we went down there with a the group, and everyone that we interviewed, I mean, here's the interesting part. Everyone that we interviewed was uh, ethnically Hispanic. Uh, they were all women, and they all lived in border towns in, in uh, Texas. And so we were just asking them questions. Like, and so we had people that were school teachers. We had people that were doctors. We had people that were, um, and we said, okay, what, what is it like? And they're like, <laughs> so it's, they're like, it, it can be very scary. She goes, the school I work at will get shut down several, will go on lockdown several times a year. And it's generally because people will come across the border. And then what they'll do is because you have a long line of cars coming to pick up students at the end of the day, it becomes a way for them to kind of blend in, get into a car and leave. And what's interesting is, is people would hear that and be like, oh, well, how often does that happen? We were standing on a levee at the border looking at an elementary school, right? This was on a weekend, but looking at elementary school. And as we were standing there videoing, <laughs> Like doing interviews, two people came up, crossed the levee, and they got picked up by CBP on the other side. And, and again, what will happen is CBP will take them back, and there's a 50-50 chance they'll just be like released with a court date. And so she was talking about locking down. Other people were talking about they couldn't leave their dogs out at night because your dog can get shot because people don't want to be, you know, so their, their dogs would be killed. They don't want the dogs alerting that yeah, there's they, somebody goes, out. You'd, you'd be afraid to let your kids play outside in, in certain parts of the border at certain times of night because of, you know, cartel operations and things like that. So th there were very practical day-to-day -day considerations that these people had to contend with that a lot of the people that don't live anywhere near the border don't even have to consider. Mm -hmm. And and it, and it was eye-opening because I, I get so sick of the, well, we're the compassionate ones that want to let everybody in, and you're the mean ones that, you know, don't care about anybody. And again, all of these people were ethnic, ethnically Hispanic. They're all saying, like, I have family in Mexico. I go to Mexico to visit my family. I, I you know, I have other people that are trying to come over. And they said, and some of them were like, I came over. It wasn't that difficult to do it legally. I, I would like other people to, you know, exercise the same consideration that I did with respect to the laws of the country that I was, I wanted to be a part of. So. And our immigration laws are more laxed than yes. most countries around us. No, it, Rush Limbaugh did this thing once where he said, okay, he goes, you want to talk about uh, uh, laws? Let, let's, let, he goes, we'll call them the Limbaugh laws. And he went through and he explained how if you want to immigrate to the United States, you have to have something like it was, you know, the equivalent of like forty thousand um, dollars, you know, saved up before you can come over here. You can't fly your native flag when you come here. You can't own this sort of property. You can't. And he went after all these lists, and I'm listening to him. Draconian, a little bit draconian. He goes, every single of the laws I just mentioned are laws on the books in Mexico. 
You want to immigrate to Mexico? You got to meet these requirements so they can kick you out. And so it's this idea that, you know, we're so harsh and mean and cruel in the United States. No, we're not. We, we actually have a very, very open refugee policy, asylum policy, and immigration policy. Now, th th you can always have improvements, but this idea that we're somehow, you know, again, mean about this is just absurd. What was your original question? Sorry. I, I wanted you to break down it. the um, welfare state issue oh. and perverse incentives because, you know, we all have our individual solutions. And I, I think that most of them are band-aids to a larger problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what I like to do is I like to go back in American history. And we talk about, obviously, there was a time in American history where immigration was very open. And, and whatever immigration laws we had, they weren't all that enforceable, right? It, um and, and so you had lots of people coming in from the East, lots of people coming in from the West. And what people, and again, the, 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 co, the kind of cool thing to say uh, sometimes, oh, we're, we're a country built by immigrants. And, and there's absolutely a lot of truth to that statement. But you, you also look historically like, okay, we had people coming in from the West and you had uh, uh, large groups of immigrants coming in from Asia. They were working on uh, the railroads. You had large people coming in at different points in time from uh, Europe, you know, specifically like Ireland, Scotland, England, Germany, et cetera, coming over. You had a lot of Irish working on the railroads that were, you know, going out West. A lot of the uh, uh, Chinese immigrants working on uh, uh, railroads that were going to connect with it going East. And and you look at that and like, okay, well, we were able to absorb large immigrant populations at that point, what was the issue? Well, some people will make an issue that it was about, uh, you know, massive amounts of land and territory and low um, low population comparatively. And, and you can make that argument. Um, but another, the argument that I repeatedly go back to is that in, in most of those situations, they, they will oftentimes try to paint an image that you were an immigrant and you got here and you were just on your own and that was it. And for some people, that was definitely true. Uh, for other people, they fell into bad crowds with criminal organizations. But there was also a lot of organizations that were civic organizations that were set up to be able to help immigrants come in, you know, do what they needed to do, find a job, you know, find a community uh, to work with and, you know, kind of a, a, a assimilate into America without losing touch with their own culture. And, you know, I, I think all of that was, you know, fine. Um when you start creating an elaborate welfare state and when you start creating, you know, when the, when the government is primarily responsible for things like education, now all of a sudden you have a different incentive structure that's taking place. Most of the people that were immigrating in the United States early on within our history were doing so because they were not only fleeing persecution, but they were also fleeing countries to which, um, you know, either they, you know, because of tax law, because of aristocracy, uh, because of all these other things, there were, there were a great deal of economic, social, and legal uh, barriers to, to them to be able to live and thrive and, and raise a family. And so coming to the United, that's what the United States meant, right? It was the American dream. I can come here, right. I can work, and the government's not going to take it from me. And, you know, the the law enforcement and the legal mechanisms in place are largely, are significantly less corrupt than where I'm coming from. Um, there isn't some of the same, you know, um, other barriers that I would have to go through. So I got, I got an opportunity to make it here. And that's a good incentive. That's a good incentive to go to a place because you're, you're essentially recognizing that I'm not going somewhere because I'm getting something for free. I'm going somewhere because I have the opportunity to create right. something or build something. When you establish a large welfare state, you are now creating perverse incentives to immigrate. You're saying that now, okay, I want to go to someplace because I can get things. 
I can get things that I didn't necessarily have to contribute to in order to get. And, and the mindset that that develops both within your country as well as the mindset it, it creates in a potential immigrant to your country can be highly destructive both for your country right. and the immigrant. Right, so it, it's perverse not only on an economic standpoint, it's perverse not only on a social standpoint, it's also perverse just on an individual moral standpoint. Because if I'm going somewhere to be taken care of or to be supported by somebody else, by the labor of somebody else, that's problematic. Now, a lot of people look at like, well, you know, Nick, that's not why people come to this country. I, you know what? I don't know why each individual comes to this country. And guess who doesn't either? The people saying that that's not why people come right. to the country. And, and, and regardless of why you go somewhere, if you show up and the first person you run into is like, oh, here's this program, here's this program, here's this program, here's this mm -hmm. program. Well, as Milton Friedman liked to say, at that point, I don't blame the person that's, that's taking the goodies because they're making what seems like a, a really straightforward economic decision for themselves at right. that point. This is good for my family. And then for all the people that tell me that, you know, again, well, they're, they're not even eligible for that. Okay. Oh, but the, here's the thing is... A lot of this is based on whether or not, based on your status and whether or not you make enough income. Well, if all the income you're making is under the table and you're making an income, yeah. you are working still. You're not just this idea that people get here and then they just sit and suck off the system. No, no, no. They're working. Yeah. They're making an income, but it's not getting taxed at all. So what you have is on paper they qualify for all the benefits, but they're also making an True. income. And then you have occupancy levels extremely high in homes. And so that brings down the cost of rent. You've got five families living in one house and it frees people up. They, this is definitely an economic decision because it frees them up to be able to spend, uh, send the excess that they can, that they can save back home to whatever family member to try to uh, prop up their, they're just making their own decision to support their family. Yeah. But it's interesting. I, I did want to bring up really quickly. So are you, I'm sorry, are you done with that topic? Cause yeah. I, okay. Um, there are some things that, that you'll always see the left talk about. They'll, they'll try to, especially you'll see people who have never cracked a Bible open in their life who will be like, well, Joseph and Mary were refugees right. and you've seen that meme and, and they're like, they were refugees. Would you have been the person to close your doors to them? And it just shows it, it, such a basic. It's so funny how they compare a personal decision in your own home, like opening your doors to your own home to, uh, you know, doing so as a public good. Yeah. As a but, policy. But then just the fact that they weren't immigrants, they were, there was a, there was a census taken and you had to go back to the place of yeah. your birth in order to take the census. And they were traveling between those two places. They were not refugees and they were not illegal they're, immigrants. They're talking, they're talking about refugees when they had to go to Egypt, when they had to flee to Egypt. Now, what's, but, that's what they're talking about. But here's what's interesting. That was all part of the Roman Empire. <laughs> but the thing is, is they weren't. They might have been fleeing, but they're they're not refugees. Well, no, that was the whole point. Is they had to they had to flee Judea. They had to flee. Um, so if I have to flee Culpeper because people are after me, yeah, uh, am I now a refugee to Madison? No, no. Well, that the the point is that okay. The point here is, is it's, that it's just absurd. They're conflating the two because it was all part of the Roman Empire at that point, right? So when they went to Egypt, 
you know, they're, they're looking at that as, as if it was totally, you know, a completely different country. And it, and at that point it was all under the jurisdiction of the Roman empire. It, it, but again, it's the, it's the whole, and they'll, they'll also, they'll also look to some of the, um, you know, the books of the Bible within the Torah and whatnot, where it talks about, um, you know, being benevolent to the sojourner and, and things like that. But then, you know, again, it, but at no point does it say, Hey, but they can totally flaunt your laws and do what they want. Well, right. you're good. that's, that's not, that's not what happens. So Nick, one of the arguments that we hear from the right quite often is that these illegal immigrants will come and take American jobs. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. So here's the part why we'll, whenever this question comes up, I'm always like, okay, here's where I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Um, but I'm going to be intellectually and morally consistent. Okay. So let's lay something out here real quick, just on a fundamental level. In fact, take immigration out of it. When people say someone will take my job, that infuriates me because it creates a mindset that I think is actually incredibly left wing and it has worked its way into conservative and, and, and vernacular. When you do a job and I have worked for people and I've had people work for me, when you do a job that is your job in the sense that you are, you are doing something to earn money, that job does not belong to you. One of the biggest problems that we have, in fact, if you look at Marxist literature, they're the ones that really push this idea that everything belongs to the laborer. It's the laborer's job. It's the, I'm sorry. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It can't possibly be. So somebody created a job. They, they created some sort of, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor or whatever it was, and they needed work done and they hired you to do it. And it is good and it is noble for you to go there and do it and do it well and get paid exactly what your labor is worth and to make sure that, you know, you don't get ripped off or anything like that. But this idea that once I take a job, it's mine, it belongs to me. No, it doesn't. And to adopt that sort of language is to adopt a, a more Marxist vernacular and viewpoint of how you look at something. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I don't care if I get in trouble for it because it is an inappropriate way to look at something. That reminds me of when you were running for Congress um, during the convention. Now, the left will send people who are plants to say something that's really kooky, maybe, to see if they can get you to agree with it. And they came up to me um, during during the convention when we were in the middle of the votes and things like that. I am really convinced that this this young man who came up to me was not a conservative. I I just don't believe it. Um, he came up to me and asked me what what you're going to do about stopping immigration. And I said illegal immigration. And he goes, no, all immigration. I don't want those people coming here. And I said, Nick is not the candidate for you then. You can go ahead and vote for anybody probably but Nick because yeah. he's not your candidate. Nope. We are all for legal immigration, people who work hard to get here. And um, we are against illegal immigration. So if if you are against immigration completely because it's us and them, you can find another candidate. Yeah. So he didn't get the hot mic moment he wanted from me. But yeah. there are times when you you have people ask you these kind of kooky questions and it's don't just stand up for what you really believe in well, here. And, and this goes, and this goes back to the point about like, what, what do you say? They're taking our jobs. Well, first of all, let's understand something. If a job is available and nobody is doing it, 
Yeah, you're not taking somebody's job. No, nobody's nobody's taking anything. Now, the argument will sometimes be is like, well, but somebody's willing to work for less. Well, then my question is this. If they're willing to work for less in, in, in a market environment, then they're the ones that should get the job. The problem, the, now the other side of this that I do think is, a, is an honest consideration is that what, what you said before is that if I'm hired, when somebody hires me, they have to register everything with the state government, with the local government, with the federal government. They have to assess taxes. They have to. So what you've done is you've put me in an unfair competitive advantage, not simply because someone is willing to work for less. You put me in an unfair economic advantage because there's no way I can work for that much right. because of what the government will require my employer to do. Yeah. And the employer, a lot of people don't realize the employer pays the same taxes you pay on top of what you pay. Well, and, yep. and yeah, and what they need to understand about this is that employers are now put into a situation where whenever we say employers should have to, you know, pay more for sick leave or employers should have to do more for maternity, all of that gets assessed as affecting the laborer. Because if an employer has $20, let's say they have $20 an hour to pay you, and the government requires $8 worth of mandatory benefits from unemployment insurance to healthcare, to sick leave, to maternity leave, to all these. What do you get paid now? You get paid 12. Whether you use those things or not. Right. Whether you, you get paid 12 because the actual cost of hiring you was 20. Well, if somebody comes in off the books and they're willing to work for 10 or for 12, or let's say 15, they're still cheaper than you are. Even, even if they got paid more under the table. Mm -hmm. So I completely understand it from the perspective of the government has involved itself so much within labor and whatnot that, it, that it's, it's pricing people out of the marketplace and it's easier to work illegally. That's a, that is a genuine problem when, when it comes to that. But I, I, I just, I hate the idea of taking my job. You need to caveat what you mean when you say that if someone is, if someone gets hired because they can do a better work and they can do it cheaper than you no, you, you that wasn't your job. It belongs to the person that's actually creating the opportunity and they deserve to give it to the person that's going to give the best value for value in that transaction. But I do understand it when American laborers are like, wait a second, I can't compete with this person, not because I'm far more expensive based off of what I'm trying to earn. I can't compete with this person because the government has said I can't compete with this person. Right. And that's problematic. And that's an important distinction to be made. Nick, I think you wrapped this up really well for us, and I like the second distinction that you uh, just spoke about, but go ahead and wrap us out. Okay, well, look, the, the bottom line is, is and, and Tina articulated this, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a very pro-immigration person. I, I think when people come to the United States for the right incentives and they, and they you know, because they want to work hard, they want to live in a, in a free society that embraces individual liberty and embraces free markets, um, I think that's a good thing. Because again, ultimately, I don't think the United States is just a piece of geography. I really do think it's a philosophy. If someone came in right now and fundamentally altered the way the United States operates, yeah, we might still be America. Our flag might look the same, but I don't think any of us would recognize it as the country that we know mm -hmm. and we love and we want to be a part of. Yeah. And so when people want to come here and be a part of that, I think, and they go through that process, and there is nothing more inspiring than watching somebody in tears taking that first oath to become an American, just how proud they are of it. Mm -hmm. And because, because they've come from somewhere where they understand that those freedoms don't exist and they've arrived and they desperately want to be a part of it and they're so proud to be a part of it, that's an American. Yes. And I will mm -hmm. stand by that person every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yep. But I'm not willing to allow 
that same person that's trying to get here to be exploited for political purposes. And so when we look at immigration policy, this should be a fairly straightforward standpoint. Mm -hmm. There are certain considerations that we have to take into effect on a practical level. There are certain situations and, and considerations we have to take into effect from a security standpoint. And we should be able to do that. But if we really want to allow for greater immigration in this country, then we're actually going to have to replicate some of the things that we have when we were able to have more immigrants in this country. And that starts with people come to the United States for the opportunities, not for the government taxpayer subsidized benefits. That's what we have to address. And so I would say to Democrats, if you're serious, if you want to find someone that is serious about working with you on good legal immigration, but preventing the sort of criminal activity that we see, preventing the sort of human trafficking that we've seen, preventing the sort of gang activity that we're seeing, preventing the sort of exploitation that we're seeing, well, then you're going to have to address something fundamental, and that's the welfare state you have continually tried yep. to prop up and expand. Because what it tells me, especially when someone first gets to this country, and the first thing that you show them is not a job, but a welfare state, that tells me that you're looking for more dependence not more Americans. Buying voters. And that is a very different thing. So to all those people that want to come to the United States in order to breathe free and be a part of the American dream, I, I think I think that is a noble endeavor, and that's something that we should all stand by. For people that are coming here to either hurt us or to live off a system, I'm sorry, that's not a part of who we are as a nation, and we have a right to protect ourselves from that. All right. This is, a, uh, this is a weighty topic. I want to yeah. thank you for joining us. Also want to encourage you, if you have any other questions, if you have any other statements, you agree with what I said, you disagree with what I said. Let go us on, know. Go into our volley chat. That's the great, that's link a great in place description. to do it. Great place to do it. It's the link for volley is in the description. Um, go on there. Let us know what you think. We love to be able to respond and have, you know, kind of those conversations where you don't got to wait for a whole hour for us to you know, yeah. give you like a one minute response on something. But once again, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.